First off, amazing to be back. Love it. A little bit of a hiatus. Wasn't good for either of us. I missed your face. I missed hearing you. I missed that smile that I just saw. And uh, I got I got another new another thing for you here. This is ASN number twenty five. So Big not number. only not only is the podcast a quarter of a century years old at this point, we are able to rent a car in North America now with our age. So. That's a pretty big step as well. This might be the final milestone. I don't know if there's anything I, you can't do. I don't think it can get any higher than that, to be honest with you. Until Renting a car. For, yeah. yeah. Until it's time for a AARP or retirement or something. Yeah. I mean, once we get to 50, then 65, then 75, and then 100, and then we're But But dead. for a while, we've checked <laughs> off all those boxes. We hit the milestones. Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, now it's it's only downhill from here now, Dan. I hope you realize that. So it it was nice working with you while we while we worked together. But I have a feeling we can change that. We can we can uh, defy expectations, defy Father Time. <laughs> no, this is um, this. It's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, first thing I want to say to you guys who are listening, guys and gals, is uh, we are sorry we haven't been able to get these episodes out to you in a more timely fashion. As I mentioned to Dan, that we've been having a little bit of scheduling issues the last couple of weeks. He works at odd times. I work all the time. Uh, this is a very busy time of the year for me at my job. So it's, uh, it's a little tough, but you know, we find little times here and there to record and get these episodes to you. So just know that we're always trying our hardest to get these episodes to you in a timely manner. So we had to take the wild card weekend off. And honestly, it's okay that we took the wild card weekend off because I don't really think we missed too much. But before we dive into the divisional games and preview the championship games that are uh, coming upon us very soon, two questions. One, Dan, first and foremost, and the most important, how are you doing and how have you been? Now, does that count as two questions or one? It's 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 one B, one A and one B. Okay, one A. And one B. Well, I have I have been good. Uh, I continue to be good. Um, January, not the most interesting month of the year for sure, but sometimes that's okay. You don't really need to be uh, uh, constantly busy or constantly entertained or anything like that. Um, but I've been good. Been enjoying the playoff action, like I'm sure you have. We have um, some really evenly matched games coming up this weekend and uh we'll get into this later but i was looking too at the uh at the they have the hypothetical super bowl odds for each game for each possible matchup you know all four of them and every one of them is within two points so 
Should be some good playoff football coming up. I know there's only three games left, but they're very, very important ones. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that you know there's only three games left, and we were talking about it before when we were discussing the scheduling for this episode number 25 is we are tied with three games left in our record. So Dan in the regular season, Dan is the Buffalo Bills. He's the regular season <laughs> champion, but I win when it matters most. So I clutched up. I gained a game on Dan. We are now tied in our record with three games to go with the two championship games and the Super Bowl left. So you, um, you just gained a game on Sunday. That was um, – yeah. You got, was you, got, you were actually behind a game I was. in the playoffs. Yeah. Because I, I went 5-1 and one wild card week and you went 4-2. Well, and two. think about it like this. I was really – in, in reality, I was really back two games because with that one game that I was already down, and then I was down another game in the playoffs, I made a miraculous comeback by going 4-0 and this past weekend. Um, Dan, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little disappointed in you and your, in your Dallas. Uh, you thought Dallas was going to win. I'm a little disappointed in that. I, 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 I think you, you know better. That game, though, if you watch that game – they definitely could have. I mean, they, you know, yeah, they were. They, they I think they were been. evenly matched, but the the quarterback did not step up like he could have. That yes, for those of you who don't know, who obviously you can't see, uh, <laughs> my name for today, Dan's name is Daily Dan, as it usually is. I usually try and change. My name is Dak Scott today because that is how I feel about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. He is ass. And this is coming from a Jet fan, so it really means absolutely so you, nothing. You see, where, you see where I'm coming from with that pick, though. They had everything aligned except for Tony Pollard getting hurt, which was very unfortunate. Yeah, that no, sucks. no running game in the second half. Zeke needs to go. Um, but they had everything aligned and he didn't perform. That's it. But they, you know, they held him to 19 points. Um, it felt like they could have they could have had that game, which is why, like, you know, I feel better about that pick if if they had gotten blown out. Not because I feel good about my own pick, but because I feel like all right, at least they didn't have a shot. Yeah, um, I was gonna say because you could have been a good guy, pick. Could have been. All right, so I'm not going to rag on you too much because no, at the we end can of the day, we can get into it. We can get into it. I, no, I'm no, no. About, I'm not going to. Well, we should. We're going to get into it when we talk about that game. But I'm not going to okay. get into it because okay. with my luck and the way that I trash talk, I'll go zero and three, and you'll just blow me out of the water for the last <laughs> three games of the season. So I'm not going to go too far into it. But one thing that we did want to mention before we get into all the festivities of the past games and then the games that we're looking forward to. We had a little bit of news today, actually, right before we kind of got on. It was a couple hours before we got on. Yeah. Is that Scott Rowland was uh, is elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Now I know we have opinions on this, and really, what I wanted to say about it is, I don't want the Baseball Hall of Fame to become the NBA Hall of Fame, where we're letting good sometimes great players in, but it's kind of, doesn't it kind of feel like it's becoming that, especially with the Scott Rowland, you know, being, being elected, like Scott Rowland was a good player for a long time, had a couple great years and now he's in. Now this begs the question for me. So now I'm thinking, did Scott Rowland ever win a world series? I, I don't remember with the, in, in the Cardinals, place. right? Yep. Yeah. With the Cardinals. Okay, so he's got one World Series ring. Now, if we're talking about good, sometimes great players getting into the Hall of Fame, now we have to think that guys like Andy Pettit and Jorge Posada should be getting into the Hall of Fame if Scott Rowland is getting into the Hall of Fame, right? Well, the 
What's going to hurt Andy Pettit? It, or, it already is. He's been on the ballot for a little while. Well, this this, this, yeah, the steroids, right, right, right. But players um, like that. And, you know, what I find is that that's what a lot of people's issues are now at the Hall of Fame. So I, I was I was talking to somebody in the comments of my post earlier, and I, I try not to get into it with people, but it, it wasn't an argument. It was just uh, kind of feeling them out. Um, you know, this person kind of said what you said, where, well, we don't want to just let anybody into the Hall of Fame. It's becoming a joke. Somebody correctly pointed out that the NBA Hall of Fame is more of a joke. Yeah, um, definitely. It would be technically the Basketball Hall of Fame because they let uh, everybody in. Um, they, and I love college basketball, too, but they let every college coach in. That's let that like more than 20 seasons. So that that's another issue. <laughs> um, at least for it, baseball is not doing that. But I said, you know, they've only let two people in in the last three years. So it's not like um, – and this is from the modern ballot. So it's not like they're just letting anybody, they're not, you know, not like they're just opening the door for everybody. I mean, two people in three years is kind of uh, extreme compared to last year. But what, but well, here's what people said. Here's what this person said. They're letting the wrong people in. Um, But I do, I think the big disconnect is the the steroid thing. Um, Bonds and Clemens got like, I think they topped out at like 63% or something. That's still a majority that wants them in. But I can understand why there is a segment of voters that, is never going to let a steroid user in. I, I don't really agree with it. I don't either. Um, I can go through my stance about it if we want to talk about that. But I, I think I think the steroid thing has clouded the Hall of Fame's, um, I don't know, legacy for a little bit. And once we move past it a bit, I think things are going to be easier. Um, here's my other, here's what, here's before I get to you, one other reason why I think, um, somebody like Scott Rowling got in, I think people want someone to vote for. This is just like a, it's like a naturally down period. Well, well then you're thing. already, if, if that's the case, you're watering down the hall of right. fame by just having right. someone to vote for. Right. This is a, a, it's a, there are a lot of people and I've, I've had an issue with this for a long time. And I think some voters this year started to realize like, okay, we can't do that. Uh, is some people like vote, you know, because they can vote for 10 guys, they vote for 10 guys on every ballot. Um, and I've, I've seen people complain in the past about, 10 is not enough. Like you, you, you're you going to tell me you're looking at a Hall of Fame ballot and you think 12 or 13 Hall of Famers are on there? Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's extreme. Like, <laughs> and if there really are, just wait a year for some of them. Um, but I do, I think we're in, a, we're in kind of a, of a down period for Hall of Famers. And it's not, it's nothing to do with baseball really, except for like there were guys who didn't have long careers because of injuries. Like, you know, there were Prince Fielders and Ryan Howards that maybe could have had like 600 home runs. Yeah. Ended up ended up being off the ballot in one year because of uh, injuries and all that. Um, but it's just kind of coincidental, like because if you look going forward, okay, next year, like we're back. Adrian Beltre is going to get in year one. Yeah. The year after that, Ichiro is going to get in year yeah. one. Um, I, I couldn't even. I can't even remember who's after that. But I know there's like a string of a few years. Uh, even among a- active players, think about like maybe seven years down the line from now. We might have a year where Verlander and Kershaw are on the same back. Verlander, Kershaw, or, or then, and then Scherzer, Scherzer you know. uh, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols is five years out. We know Miguel. this is Mel- Miguel Cabrera's last year. He's six years out. Yeah. So I think we're just kind of in like an odd time. Yeah. Even Yadier Molina will probably get in if we're being honest. Um, and he's uh, five years out now with Pujols. So we're, we're just kind oh, of in the period. Greatest of all time. He'll definitely get in. Yeah. and so, But right now I think voters want someone to vote for, and that's kind of what pushed Scott Rowland in. That's at pretty the same awful. time, I'm going to let you talk, but at the same time, before we get into my hypothetical ballot, there are five guys I vote for from this ballot, and none of them are Scott Rowland. So 
part of me thinks they're also voting for the wrong guy if they really want somebody to vote for. Who would you vote for? Uh, I would do, let me say, there are three steroid users I vote for ever, like ever, because I, what my, my take on it is that the, the bar has to be higher yeah. for steroid users. I don't yeah. just ban okay. them. So the, the three I'd vote for, and there's only one on the ballot right now, are Bonds, Clemens, and A-Rod. I will, I will go door to door and campaign for A-Rod to go to the Hall of Fame. I'm, I'm all in on A-Rod being a Hall of Fame. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I pick A-Rod. I do Todd Helton, who I think is going to get in next year. Uh, Andrew Jones, who is a ridiculously good defender. Scott Rowland got in because of his defense, partially at least. And Andrew Jones is like a generational defender. Um, who are the other two? I, I tweeted this out yesterday. Oh, Billy Wagner. Oh, uh, yes. If you look at his numbers. Some people were saying the knock on him is that he didn't pitch in the postseason that much. It's not, like, not, it's not like a reliever is getting you to the postseason. The fact that he didn't pitch in the postseason much is not his fault. Yeah. Um, and the other one is Gary Sheffield. I know his defense wasn't that great. The offensive numbers are off the charts. 500 yeah. home runs is really hard to do. His OPS for his career is like way over 900. I'd put him in. So those That's are very impressive. Five. I debate about Carlos Beltran, but for right now, I'm a no. Let me let me ask you a question. So this has always been something that bothered me about really any Hall of Fame, but specifically the Baseball Hall of Fame, because these writers that get the opportunity to vote these guys in have a particular pompousness to them and outspokenness to them. And it bothers me a lot because it's a privilege that should be taken away if you – so like I'll go right out and say what I mean by this is there are some people, there are most people that are 100% you know how Derek Jeter was not a unanimous Hall of Famer, how only one person in the Hall of Fame has ever been a unanimous Hall of Famer. If someone is a Hall of Famer, how are they not unanimous? So you said you said Adrian Beltre, right? Yep. Unanimous Hall of Famer. What close did I don't remember if he had 500 home runs. Close to if he didn't have it. No, but he's he's like well over 3000 hits. Yes. Well over 3000 hits was solid up until the day that he retired. There was really not that much of a drop off in production. If so you mean to better. If I called if I if I went to 100 people that followed baseball religiously and said, "Is Adrian Beltre a Hall of Famer?" 100 people would say yes. Yeah. So where do these guys get off? Thinking that they're yeah. about see that they're the Derek Jeter one will always blow my mind to where like I don't get how you don't think that Derek Jeter yeah okay oh he had a couple bad years defensively oh, oh he's still a Gold Glover at the end of the day like I don't understand how how like Barry Bonds if you like you said if you want to hold steroid users to a higher standard there is no higher standard than Barry Bonds right that exactly. is the standard. Exactly. You know, that's that's exactly how I feel about him, about his case. You, you know, like that is the standard. And you could even argue, I know that this is kind of beating a dead horse. If you look at his numbers pre-steroid use or when you – it's up in the air when you want to determine he started using – I guess when his head started to grow. I guess that's when you could say he was using steroids. He was a Hall of Famer before that anyway. Yeah. I mean, so. I mean, there were there were so many steroid users. Even, you know, even into the past decade. I mean, you remember when the – that whole biogenesis scandal happened. That's what. That's when they suspended like Ryan Braun, A Rod, Nelson Cruz, all at the same time. There were guys in there that were minor leaguers. They're all taking the same stuff. Yeah. You know, not everybody who's on steroids is going out and hitting 
putting up Barry Bonds numbers or even yeah. major league numbers. You need some natural talent. And we all know A-Rod was like that too. He was a generational talent before the steroids. You know, I will always say this. And this is what I'm going to end on. I'm not going to say anything further. Baseball is America's pastime. It is held in the highest regard as you play the game right. You know, you're a, a civil human being. You respect the rules. You respect the flag. You respect the integrity of America when you like baseball. You love hot dogs. You love shooting guns. You love the Statue of Liberty, whatever it may be, right? So we look at these steroid users as guys that have disgraced the game of baseball. Now, I know this was a different time in the world, but I'll always revert to this because there's no comeback. There is no rebuttal to this. There are three members of the Hall of Fame that were active KKK members when they, when they got elected into the Hall of Fame. So you cannot tell me that that does not disgrace the game of baseball. So if you're letting guys like that in, I know it was like Tris Speaker, Ty Cobb, and it was someone else. So big names. These are big names. Ty Cobb is arguably one of the best baseball players of all time. You cannot overlook that and then go, well, well, that was a different time. Okay, the steroid era was a different time. Everyone was doing steroids. I think that's completely connected to what you just said before, which is in so many words that the, the voters take themselves too seriously right now. You know, they, they think that they're now, if you told the voters that they'd say, Oh yeah, we need the, you know, we need to get them out. That's why my vote's so important. Um, <laughs> they believe that they're like the moral police of, of baseball right now, the hall of fame. And I don't mean everybody either. There's, I think the voting group is getting younger, which is good. Um, the voting group is, is, you know, like I mentioned before, they don't seem to be in the state of mind where they got to put 10 guys on a ballot just because they can. I think they're getting a little better. In fact, you know, I, I work with a Hall of Fame voter over at Sporting News, and I know he takes it very seriously, um, and in a good way. I mean, you know, the, the take, the, takes the baseball side of it very seriously. But I think a lot of people, um, a lot of voters, consider themselves like the moral police of the Hall of Fame now. And to be honest, um, I think that one of the big stains on the Hall of Fame is that Kurt Schilling's not in. I, I cannot, you know, and we know it's not because of what he did on a baseball field. Um, but truly the, the greatest postseason pitcher in MLB history, when you count, um, I know Madison Bumgarner is up there, but Schilling has more of a sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably, he's a borderline hall of famer based on his regular season numbers. And he's absolutely a hall of famer when you count how good he was, uh, in the postseason, but he's not in because these voters think they're the moral police of the hall of fame. And they're, so they're, they're not keeping Barry Bonds out because, uh, because they're not sure how talented he was. They're keeping him out because they feel like they need to be, the, the police of baseball, and we can't let somebody who disgraced our great game into the Hall of Fame. But it, it's not that serious. I mean, it's not. Take, it's not. You know, take Hall of Fame voting seriously, but judge them based on baseball. Don't stop. Stop with this. You know, getting on your moral high ground and all that. That's what um, I'm I know saying. that has nothing to do with with Scott Rowland being elected. But it, it's no. It's I mean, we went on we went on an absolute tangent there. Yeah. But and I will always every time see. This is why I hate talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame because <laughs> it 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 angers me to a point where I could honestly, Dan, if you wanted to say cancel everything else in this episode and we're going to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, we could be sitting here until twelve o'clock tonight talking about that. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, next year is going to be fun too because Beltre should get in. Todd Helton seems like he's on track to get in. Billy Todd Wagner. Helton has an all-time great goatee. He has to get in. That should in. be enough, right? That should he be has enough. to get in. And Billy <laughs> Wagner 
should be able to get in. His numbers say he should. I don't know if adding – there's a few good guys adding, coming to the ballot who won't get in, but will soak up some of the votes like Chase Utley um, and Joe Maurer. But, um, or I should say who won't get in right away. You never know. You never know if, if we can hit another dry spell when they start putting Chase Utley in. But um, so, but it looks like we could have two or three next year, and it should be kind of back to normal. Beltre is deserving. Todd Helton's deserving in my mind. So there will be a lot of debate next year. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting back to a little bit of normalcy when it comes to uh, baseball Hall of Fame voting. Because if you take Derek Jeter out of the last couple of years, it's it's been pretty 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 dry. But yeah, they, they were was fun last year. But yeah, it's really I think that uh, that that stupid Hall of Fame. Uh, let's end, enough enough talking about that stupid place. Uh, well, let me say too. Part of the reason Scott Rowland got in was first-time voters. I think he went like twelve of twelve on the first-time voters who like revealed themselves. There's even more out there who kept the, their ballot and didn't post publicly. But um, you know, so th- th- that's what I mean by like we're going younger here with the voters. The younger voters are are looking at guys like Rowland, who even though he didn't, you didn't really have a reputation of being a Hall of Famer when he was a player. You look at his numbers, and it's like his WAR is like over seventy. Which, for a comparison, Machado and Arenado are both around 52 right now. They're looking at you know his defense and on base and all that. So it's a changing group of voters. Yeah, definitely. That, that's why that's another aspect of it. Like you know, we it's hard to compare what people voted for 10 years ago with what they're voting for now because it's constantly reshuffling. Right. Yeah, I'm already tired. <laughs> I, you, the the baseball hall of fame stirs up emotions in me that it honestly really even shouldn't. But um, I think that was a perfect place to end off. Scott Rowling, congratulations! Even though you might not be a hall of famer, but uh, you will be. So congratulations on that. Now moving on, I do want to talk about the four games that happened this past weekend. We are recording this. On Tuesday, January 24th. So kind of a really nice middle ground to where everyone gets to digest the games. This will be out the morning of January 25th. So, you know, right smack dab in the middle of the week. The games are behind us and digested. And we're all looking forward to the games this weekend. Now, I want to talk about the Jaguars and the Chiefs first. Obviously, really the story for me here, I know the takeaway is well, how hampered is Mahomes going to be on what are the AFC Championship games on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm, they're both. They are? Didn't they, yeah. they used to have one on, on Saturday and one on Sunday, right? I don't know. Not in my lifetime. I'm, I'm fairly certain that when the Giants went to the Super Bowl, that championship game was on a Saturday. Which I'm, Super Bowl? The last one? No, the, the first one. The first. The well, two, maybe, that was kind of before I started following football. But I I'm fairly surprised. certain that was it. I mean, I mean, I could be just whatever. But <laughs> okay, so on Sunday, that's going to be you know the big takeaway from this game is how healthy will he be? I'm I'm really impressed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that that hasn't that's not something that I've said at all this year. And. Um, I know we didn't get to talk about the wild card game. That's old news, but that was a tremendous comeback. I mean, the resiliency in Trevor Lawrence, just himself, to go out there in your playoff debut, you have four interceptions in the first half. You look god-awful. And to come back, you know, to to win the game, throw four touchdowns, it was a fantastic uh, comeback. And he did show grit and determination. I do think Jacksonville did blow a couple chances to actually make this more of a game. Yeah. 
sure. We could chalk that up to inexperience, absolutely, because the char- the Chargers, the Chiefs have a million times more playoff experience than they do. But I really think that this is something that they could just use as a building block next year. Doug Peterson isn't going to win coach of the year, but he sure as hell deserves a look or two as coach of the year. I still think it's Brian Dayball in my opinion, but uh, I think they played really good. They held a patch, a 75% Patrick Mahomes, let's say to 27 points. Uh, it looked like it was going to get ugly early after a three and out. And then the chiefs basically ran down the field. I thought that this game was going to be over before the second quarter even started. And then you look uh, up and it's 7-7. Seven, seven. Yeah. It's and it was 7-7 seven, seven for a while. Yeah. Um, the There were a few – yeah, I, I, I think that was it. I mean, if you cleaned up some of those mistakes, they're right there with the Chiefs. But they made those mistakes because they're, they're inexperienced. They're young. Yeah. Um, you know, Doug Peterson's been on the stage before, but a lot of the players haven't. Uh, but you know, three come to mind in that in that second half. Oh no, one of them was in the first half, and I think that was the, uh, the Christian Kirk drop. Yes. The one that Chris Collinsworth said was an overthrow, and it was like perfectly in his in his arms, and he was couldn't hold on to it. Uh, that might have been a game changer. Um, and then in the in the second half, of course, the, uh, that fumble down at the five yard line. If they didn't fumble, I mean, it's all of a sudden it could be a three you know five yards away from it being a three point game. Um, and you could get a stop. I mean, they easily could have gotten a stop at that point. It's not guaranteed, but with the way Mahomes is hurting, um, yeah. and they, I think they ended up even getting one after that. Um, they could have they could have made that a three point game and had a chance to tie or win. Um, and then there was that Trevor Lawrence interception on that like that last ditch try to make it a game. Great interception, um, by the way. Perfect, yeah. really nice interception. Uh, but you know, the, the, if you clean up those mistakes, like all of a sudden that team is right there with the Chiefs. And I understand things might have been different if Mahomes didn't get hurt. At the same time, they also let Chad Henney drive down the field for a, a touchdown drive. Yeah. Like they kind of made it look easy on that drive. Well, that's the caveat, of course, is well, yeah. you know, they 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 could have done so much more, but then sixty-seven-year-old Chad Henney drives the yeah, Chiefs. Yeah, like down if you had just stopped, if you had just tightened up the defense there, you know, maybe maybe the mistakes wouldn't have even cost you. But uh, yeah. The Chad Henney thing, though, is part of why I'm 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 kind of sitting here. I haven't made any picks yet for this weekend. Neither have I. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of sitting here wondering, like, there's two sides of this in my mind, and I know we're going to talk about this game, but I just want to say this in relation to the Jaguars. The Jaguars couldn't prepare for Mahomes being hurt. Like they, you know, it's great yeah. like for them that he was <laughs> that he was hobbled. Um, but if <laughs> if you knew he was going to be injured like that, you actually could have. Pre- I feel like you could have prepared better. The Bengals can prepare for an injured Mahomes, knowing he's limited and force him to do certain things that which is a massive advantage but but Andy Reid is such an offensive genius that I wonder if he's spending this week tailoring up some genius game plan that doesn't involve Mahomes running around you know that he's kind of tailoring the offense around a a pocket quarterback Mahomes that can't really run so that's going to be the interesting part is like they're two extremely smart sides like Lou Anarumo the Bengals defensive coordinator is a genius he's great Yes, he's, he's beaten the Chiefs himself three times because his adjustments are. His, he's the best in-game adjuster uh, as a defensive coordinator, but then Andy Reid is an offensive genius. So, yes, you know who who's going to game plan better with an injured Mahomes is interesting. But I thought that was interesting. That I wonder if the Jaguars, if they you know had a were able to actually come up with a game plan for um, taking advantage of of an injured Mahomes, if they would have had a better shot. But, yeah, no, it definitely, but. I think you can't kind of – you could look at this season as a win for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but 
you know, you can't help but think the way that they played against the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you kind of have to think what could have been, you know, like this yeah. is, this leaves you, this, this doesn't leave you as a Jaguars fan going, oh, wow, that was a satisfying season. You know, like, oh, can't wait to suck next year. It's, it's okay, we've gotten this far with a good off season and a good draft, how much further can we go? So I think that I'm going to go out there and make a bold claim that Trevor Lawrence has established himself as one of the guys in the AFC for the next 15 years. I feel like it's going to be a revolving door of Allen Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert, Lamar Jackson, and Trevor Lawrence has firmly cemented himself in there as well. I think he's taken the leap. And I think, I think an, a, a Pro Bowl All-Pro season is coming from him next year. I expect big things from him, but especially with the way that he he carried himself over the second half of the season and in the playoffs. Yeah, he's but, definitely got the confidence. We know that. Yeah, uh, he should. When you're as talented, that hair, he should. And when you're as talented as him, that's that's a big part of the battle. So he's got yeah. he's got the hair, the confidence, and the talent. That's I mean, big, he just looks like a Clydesdale. It's great. And he's got the AFC South, where the best quarterback right now is outside of him is Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I think it's Davis Mills. <laughs> now, I don't want to spend too much time on this next game because it wasn't a game. Let's be real. Kind of in a similar situation to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The New York Giants were playing with house money. A lot of people said they didn't deserve to be where they were. I think that's bullshit. I think that, if anything, a team that has as little talent as the Giants did makes them deserve it that much more because that means that they were coached properly. You know, they always put – they made the right adjustments. They had the right game plans, all that kind of stuff. There was no real coaching error because that's what it boils down to. When you you have as little talent as the Giants do, it's all about coaching at that point. So I think, you know, coaching in general was fantastic – for them this season, but you kind of, this leaves a really bad taste in your mouth, this loss, because this was not expected. I didn't think that the Giants were going to go into the link and get thoroughly decimated from the first minute to the last minute. I thought, I I did think the Eagles were going to win. I didn't think it was going to be like this. Yeah, the Giants were a team that really didn't get blown out this year. I mean, they were too competitive. They were... They were too hard-nosed defensively, and then offensively they had enough of a running game to kind of control the time of possession. You know, just keep keep teams close, even if they weren't beating them. Um, mm-hmm. I I did not expect that kind of blowout. I thought they were well beyond that, that first blowout that they took against the Eagles. You know, they're more confident, healthier. Um, and, of course, the Eagles I was a little worried about too. They said Jalen Hurts wasn't 100%. I guess he doesn't need to be. Um, and and there might I thought they might have been a little rusty. They really only played one game with the the stars before that bye. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess they were just out talented. You know, it's hard to say. They they looked unprepared. Although I don't think they were. I you know it's I, it's hard for me to believe that Brian Dable didn't prepare them well enough. I think yeah. they were just they were out talented, and then they they kind of let it get away from them. Um, I thought there was some, you know, they. I thought the players looked like they kind of gave up early and even Brian Dable with that punt while they, you know, while they were down three yeah. touchdowns. Um, it's kind of, you're at a point where like, well, you might as well try and go for it. And, you know, like, why are you going on, going for it on fourth and eight in the first quarter, but in the 
third quarter, you're not. Uh, yeah, going it, fourth, it seemed like a white flag at that point yeah. where it was it's just not, like, all right, know, just at that it. point, you have nothing to lose. Like, um, but yeah, there, it was a disappointing end to that season for sure. Uh, 31 point loss. The defense too on that last touchdown. I know the game was over. Like I get that, but the defense had no, gave no effort. I think it was Gainwell that scored that last touchdown. Yeah. It looked like they didn't want to be there anymore. I think Dable probably noticed that and was not thrilled with it. Um, yeah. A young, you know, that's that's what you're going to get. I know it, it sounds like an excuse, but that's what you're going to get. You got a young team that's all hyped up to go in there. Let's shock the world. Let's shock the mighty Eagles who are more talented than us. And then, you know, you're sitting there in the fourth quarter and you're losing by, well, at that point it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 31 points, but, you know, what what more can you give at that point? It, you know, it, it is disappointing. And uh, I was pulling for the Giants, so it, it definitely was disappointing to kind of sit there and watch that entire game going, man, this sucks. This is a terrible game. I turned it off. I didn't even see the game well touched on. I turned it off. I started watching Impractical Jokers at that point. I was just like, all right, let me laugh because this just left a horrible taste in my mouth. But, you know, I think uh, this – this win just kind of solidifies what we already know about the Eagles is that they're one of the most talented teams in the NFL. And on their day, they are extremely tough to beat. Yeah. You could arguably say, you know, when you count quarterback, most talented roster in football, I think the two most talented rosters are playing each other this weekend. Um, If you don't like weigh it for quarterback to, you know, if you don't really weigh the quarterback position too much from top to bottom, the Eagles and 49ers probably have the two best rosters. Um, the, the giants though, have a, just to, to go back to them really, really interesting off season coming up. I think they're going to keep Daniel Jones. I don't think, I know there are some weird comments like by Jones. I think they're just going to keep him. I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. The contract is interesting. Uh, we've talked about that. We don't even need to go back into that, but the contract is going to be very interesting. Um, and then the, the Saquon Barkley issue where I was kind of looking at the, at the numbers this past week, um, there are three running backs that are paid 15 million or more per year. And then there's a big gap and there's a bunch in the 12 and 13 range, including Derek Henry, Dalvin cook, uh, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, the 15 plus is like McCaffrey, Zeke and um, Kamara. And the question is, rough. the question is exactly those deals didn't really work out. I mean, McCaffrey, is, McCaffrey has not for the Panthers, but you know, that, that might be more the Panthers fault. Uh, but the Zeke one has completely not worked out. Alvin Kamara has not, even though he's had some good days. So that's that's the thing is like, which which does he want? Twelve million a year, or does he want to like set the the new record? And if you look at there's a report this week that he wants sixteen million, and that that might be a deal breaker. And here's you know here's another reason why Brian Dable comes from a very pass heavy background. Everywhere he's been, pass heavy. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh, the, he's been with the the Chiefs, pass heavy. Patriots were pass heavy. Obviously, the Bills, even Alabama. Um, everybody knows he likes to pass a lot, but he because he's smart, he adapted this year. He he, he could not be uh, running a pass first offense with what they had. But no. if you if you sign some, they have a lot of cap space. You sign some, you sign Daniel Jones, um, and then you add some legitimate weapons for him to throw to build up the offensive line. Yeah, you don't need to. Do you want to bring back Saquon if you're Brian Dable? Because that's just – Brian Dable kind of comes from you – know, you know, look what the Bills did. I don't think they did it correctly because it's hurting them right now, but they just kind of ran with 800 yards from Devin Singletary every year when he was there. Uh, you know, do you try to get like a, a mid-tier running back and just build your offense around Daniel Jones with a bunch of weapons and a better offensive line? Yes. 
maybe sixteen million dollars, sixteen million dollars a year, and an already, you know, career-altering ACL injury. I'm gonna pass. And, yeah, and and a bunch of ankle issues. You know, if it was pass. a different coach, I'd say you know you got to keep the heart of your offense. But I, part of me wonders if David wants to do that, and if not. You know, sixteen million can be put toward a receiver, yeah. or a, you know, you could put some of it toward a, another guard if you want. I'll throw you one right here. You ready for this? I'll throw, I'll throw you something. So, the Giants go out. They say, Saquon, we're not giving you what you want. You're free to sign somewhere else, right? They go out. They get a couple weapons. You know, they beef up the offensive line. They, they, you know, beef up the linebacking core a little bit as well because that is a real issue. Yeah. Right? Pick number 25 rolls around. Are we taking Bijan Robinson or Jameer Gibbs to kind of counteract that? Like, hey, well, we just lost Saquon. Well, let's pick up Bijan Robinson because he's the closest thing that we've seen in college football to Saquon Barkley. And now we don't have to pay him as much. And you're kind of getting similar or you hope to get similar production. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're, you know, you're giving somebody um, end of the first round money, which is not that really not that much. You know, that's that's less than what a lot of other running backs are making um, for, you know, I, I mentioned like, oh, what if you get like a mid tier running back? Well, at that point, you know, you've got uh, probably a high tier running back. I mean, running backs make their impact right away. So if you, yeah. if I, I'm pretty confident that whoever drafts Bijan Robinson is going to have a, a good, if not great, day one starter. So you can actually keep that element of the offense in if you take somebody like Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Um, you know, Gibbs does a lot of work out of the as a pass catcher too, just like Saquon. Yeah, um, get them a lot cheaper. But yeah, the, you're right though. The offense, the off season has to go according to plan though. Like you got to fill out there. There was you got to be really confident that you've got the receivers you need. You know, you built out the linebackers and maybe add a guard or something like that. If they have the perfect offseason and let Saquon Barkley go at that point, running back is is the issue or or at least the, the spot to address, depending on who yeah. they sign, for sure. I think it was just an interesting, interesting piece because I say, you know, honestly, if I'm them, if Bijan Robinson's gone out there, I'm probably not taking Jameer Gibbs at, at that point because I think Bijan is a guy that can tote the rock. 280 times and also give you 50 catches out of the backfield as where I don't think Jameer Gibbs is the type of guy that could run in between the tackles 250 plus times a season. Um, that's really the only reason why I brought it up, but it's going to be an interesting off season for the giants for sure. Uh, next game I want to talk about, or obviously we want to talk about is the Buffalo bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. And obviously the only reason why the Cincinnati Bengals won is because they were wearing white jerseys and it was snowing. And because you picked them apparently, because you can't go wrong. (laughs) I was on fire this week. (laughs) (laughs) That was, uh, I mean, nobody expected that. People picked the Bengals, people picked the bills. Totally, totally fine. I don't think anybody expected the Bills to score 10 points. It in was fact, just third, unfortunately, it was, the Jets no longer held them to their lowest point total of the year. The Jets' 17 was the lowest. Damn. Um, that they didn't then, even get that win. It was that 17, and then they scored 19 against the, the Dolphins. Those are the only two games they had under 20, um, and they had under 10, they had 10 against the, the Bengals. Um, like I mentioned, Lou Anarumo, Bengals defensive coordinator, 
amazing. Like real, yeah. I know they've I know they've got talent, but they don't have that kind of talent. No, but when Eli down. Apple is talking trash, you know <laughs> that it's the it's the defensive coordinator. <laughs> and they lost their top corner too earlier in the year, Awuzier. So it's right now it's Eli Apple, the rookie Cam Taylor Britt, and Mike Hilton, uh, and Mike Hilton, who is a, a real playmaker yeah, in that is. defense. And yet they're they're shutting these offenses down. I saw some excuses too. Um, actually, they were mostly before the game. Uh, I'll, so you know, I'm not going to throw Bills fans under the bus. It was just by people before the game saying, "Well, I wonder if um, the they said the snow can slow down pass rushers." I think Michael Strahan said that he felt he was slowed down by the snow. Um, but one team rushed the passer very well, and yeah. one team did not. That's so, not an excuse for the Bills because and the you played in the Buffalo. It's not like you go. It's not like they went into Cincinnati and it was there was seven feet of snow on the ground. They go, oh well, we've never played in this. You play in Buffalo, yeah. like there's that's not an excuse. Get out of here with that. So that 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 is where. I'm not saying this would have changed the game. It would not have, but that's where they missed uh, Von Miller because yeah. you have a, a prime opportunity to go up against a really beaten up offensive line, missing three starters. Um, and I know they said Ted Karras was dealing. He hurt his knee during the game or something yeah. like that. But so you got three, you got one and a half healthy starters on this line, and you can't generate any kind of pressure against Burrow. Now Burrow, um, he got the ball out quickly. Like he, you know, he was prepared for it. Um, but the 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 offensive line impressed me. Jackson Carmen, who he got, he started out as a rookie last year and got benched uh, after like six games. Um, he he was really he was had some great run blocking to help out Joe Mixon. Yeah. Um, the the pass blocking as a as a whole unit was much better than expected. Uh, I, I was going to say that. Damn it, you beat me to it. I was going to say shout out shout out Jackson Carmen because I, he was atrocious last year in every way, shape, or form for the Cincinnati Bengals, and you know he really really stepped up. For I mean, first ever. Think about this. He, it was his birthday on on Sunday too, so he just turned twenty three. Yeah. Your first ever start at arguably the most important position in football, maybe besides for quarterback, left tackle, against Buffalo in the snow. In Buffalo. Like it sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. Dude stepped up in a big, big way. So shout out Jackson Carmen for that. I you know, it just comes down to this. Joe Burrow is that dude. He's just that dude. He is one of the you know. He is a way more talented Jimmy Garoppolo. And the reason I say that is because not only because they're both gorgeous, it's I'm saying that because remember how we're, we're always sitting here going, God, Jimmy is so mid, but somehow he has like a 700 career winning percentage. Joe Burrow is a guy that just knows how to win. And it's been following him throughout his entire career Probably since he was in middle school, it's been following him. There are people that just know how to win, and he backs it up, too, with his play. It's not like, oh, he just knows how to win, and he goes and throws 13 for 29 for 100 yards and an interception. You know, he goes out there. He performs. Now, granted, this was easily his best playoff performance of his career. He hasn't been too great in the playoffs so far. He's been, like, okay. This was definitely a a good playoff game for him definitely his best and you know they jumped out to a quick 14 nothing lead and the running game was good too they kind of strayed away from the running game in the second half a little bit I don't I wasn't sure why I'm pretty sure Joe Mixon had like 13 carries for 63 yards in the first half like they were running the ball pretty effectively 
that was a little puzzling too. And especially when you got, you know, not only you have Joe Mixon, you have uh, P. Ryan and you have Chris Evans as well. Like all three guys that could run the ball pretty effectively through the tackles in between the tackles. I was, I was a little confused as to why they strayed away from that, but just all around, I mean, offensive game plan, defensive game plan. It was spectacular. I think you kind of, that was the difference between those two teams. You kind of pointed out that the Bills could not run the ball. Um, and the and the Bengals knew that. Uh, Bengals have a good run defense. But, you know, they, yeah. it, it's, 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 one, it's one thing when you pretty much always know they're passing the ball. Even when the Bengals strayed away from the running game, the Bills had to be aware of it. Um, and it, you know, they... They didn't. You're right. They didn't go to it a lot uh, early in the second half, and then at the end when they were really trying to run down the clock, the Bills just couldn't stop them. Yeah. Um, not that they really had that much to play for at that point, but it was 27-10 in the final minutes. But you know, P. Ryan eight yards, Joe Mixon eleven yards. Like that's what they were doing at the end of the game. They could not stop them. Um, it that really surprised me though is is how much how successful the running game was. Obviously, Joe Mixon um, was the victim of some bad run blocking earlier this year on that line. And I thought, all right, like this is going to be going to be rough in Buffalo uh, going up against, you know, some, some pretty solid run defenders. Um, the offensive line is completely depleted. I thought they were going to be doing a lot of passing. You know, um, I don't want to cut you off, but you mentioned good run blockers with good run defenders, which is true. To be honest with you going into the game, a defensive line of Boogie Basham, Tim Settle, Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau doesn't really scare me that much. So yeah, no. I'm sure it didn't really scare the Bengals that much either. Yeah, I mean the, the pass rush without Von Miller is is really nothing. And they, yeah. they obviously couldn't do much to stop the run. Uh, but it's gonna be interesting going into see going into uh Kansas yeah, City. And the, the Chiefs, you nobody's afraid of the Chiefs pass rush. Uh, but at the same time, like Chris Jones is better. I know he's not a, a He's straight up pass rusher. He's an interior D lineman, but Chris Jones is more intimidating on a defensive line than anybody the Bills have. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can if they can repeat that performance. Obviously, it might help not not playing in the snow. They they might be even more confident. And Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa both have not yet been ruled out. Um, I don't think Which Jonah is Williams good. is going to play with the, the kneecap issue, but Alex Kappa uh, has been recovering longer than Jonah Williams got an ankle issue. I wonder if he'll be back and he can help with the run blocking. Uh, inside for Mixon. Uh, P. Ryan's a really underrated piece, too. He was like bullying. There were a couple of runs where he bullied his way to a first down. He's kind of like an immovable object. I mean, he just he he's a bowling ball that runs through some guys. They've really yeah, found a good role for him. He's, phys- he's very physical. He's like they scary. A good role for him. Yeah. And by the way, he, I think I'm remembering this correctly. I don't know if it was I don't know. He, P. Ryan had one big game. I forget if it was against the Chiefs earlier this year or against the Bucks. It was one of it those against the Chiefs. Games. So if he can do that again, ah, he, good shout, Dan. He good was shout. Really good. He was. I know. I knew it was one of those four twenty-five against the Chiefs or Bucks. Yeah. Uh, he had his way with them. If he could do that again, that could be a big X factor. Yeah, that's God. You're such a such a beautiful human. Sometimes that's <laughs> such a great shout. I'm honestly extremely impressed. I didn't even. Usually, I think of everything like that, and I go through like every. I that completely. Wow, great. Blew me away there. Thank you. Thank you. Hats off to you, Daily Dan. But. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, and and that's honestly, I can't even say that I'm more excited for that game than the other AFC Championship game. But before we get to talking about the championship games, we do have to talk about one more game, and I'm just going to come out and say it. You put 
any other quarterback that was remaining in the playoffs on Dallas with that performance that their defense put out there, Dallas wins that game. Dak Prescott has been an absolute turnover machine this this season. In 12 games, he led the league in interceptions. He makes dumb throw after dumb throw. He almost threw a pick right after the, I forget they were talking, the announcers were talking about it. And they were like, oh, so, you know, let's see if he could have a turnover-free drive and almost threw a pick six to Dre Greenlaw as soon as they said that. And if it wasn't for linebackers having stones for hands, it, it would have been a pick six. And there was also about two or three other passes that easily could have been intercepted that weren't. I mean, Prescott could have had probably one of the worst games of his career if, if the ball didn't fall a different way a couple times. It, he was He was bad. He was very bad. And he was, I know we haven't gotten a chance to talk about that, the, the game against the Bucks. I mean, he was, it wasn't he was amazing. He was surgical. <laughs> like he, he went over three, uh, his first three pass attempts. And then I think he had three more incompletions the entire game. It, everything was working. And I know the Bucks don't have the absolute greatest defense. And part of the issue too, was that the offense kept putting the Bucks defense back on mm-hmm. the field and tiring them out. But, you know, it's not like they were, it's not like it's what Daniel Jones did against the Vikings. Like this is not the 31st ranked defense in the NFL. If you do that in Tampa, you should be able to do something against the 49ers, especially where they really only have one corner that you're intimidated by, Charvarius Ward. Um, it was just completely disappointing. And I, I mentioned to you, were we recording yet or not? I don't even remember if we were recording. But his easily his worst two games uh, in, in his playoff career yeah. were against the 49ers last oh, we year. Weren't, we weren't recording yet when you yeah, said no, that. I mean, by far, the, the I was looking through his playoff career and I was thinking, all right, you know, it's really not that bad. He just His bad game was against um, the 49ers last year. And then he goes out and does it again. Even worse, actually, if you look at the numbers. Uh, and if you look with your eyes, it was worse. <laughs> um, no, it, it, that game was completely on on Dak Prescott. And, you know, I saw some people saying today, like, on Twitter, you know, this, this I don't know about, this this culture of analysis now where we're, like, uh, judging everybody on one game is ridiculous. And sure, it like, it is. But at the same time, this game falls on Dak Prescott's shoulders. And it's an issue. Like, you're the quarterback. Um, you know, can you confidently go into next year thinking like, yes, this is the guy who's going to take us uh, to the Super Bowl? You have to. Not, not when you got to go through teams like this. The 49ers defense isn't going anywhere. I mean, you it, have, the, the problem is, though, Dan, I know that we've seen crazier quarterback carousels before and anything's possible in the NFL. You're paying Dak Prescott $45 million to be the most mid quarterback in the NFL. No one is going to give up draft capital to get Dak Prescott. At he's not going million there. And I, I don't think the Cowboys are really motivated to do it either. Cause no, and they shouldn't be. No, because yeah. like with coaches, people say like I, – I may have complained to you about this before. Some people like with coaches, and if you want to fire somebody, they're like, well, who are you going to get to replace him? That's better. Like most great coaches come out of complete obscurity. You could pull anybody from anywhere. Nobody knew who Sean McVay was before when they hired him. You can if – you, if you feel like a coach is a problem, you got to fire him and just and try your best – to find a, a good replacement. That's the GM's job. If you, but a quarterback, there's only a select few. You, you can't just say, oh, we're, that's kind of like what the Raiders are doing now. They're yeah. like, well, well, we're just going to hope that we can find a better quarterback somewhere. <laughs> well, the Raiders are a disaster. Yeah, so. like, you know, but if you're the Cowboys, like you can't do that unless you got confirmation that some star is lining up to go to Dallas. He really wants to go to Dallas. I saw on Twitter a poll that said Dallas Cowboys fans, what do you what do you do with Dak? And it was like keep him, uh, trade him. It was like 
ride with him to the end. And then the last one was draft, trade him and draft a quarterback. And like the majority hit that. And I, I went to that account and I blocked the shit out of that account as soon as I saw it, because that was egregious. That was a ridiculous tweet to even make. And the fact that people even voted for that last one, I was like, Oh my God, get these people away from me immediately. And I don't block I don't block people on Twitter, but that I was like, get out of here right like, now. Like, look, we we all agree that they're in a, they're they're in a they have a problem with Dak Prescott, yeah. and it's not that he's a bad quarterback. Nobody thinks he's a bad quarterback, you know, in general. Um, but their you know, their problem is that he's too mediocre. Like they're you know they're not getting a top five pick, um, uh, you know, and and it's not like it's a bad thing to go twelve and five every year. But he's clearly not a quarterback who's going to win them three games in the playoffs or four, which they would have needed this year to win the Super Bowl. And at the same time, there's no real replacement out there. I mean, you just can't bank yeah. on finding a, somebody as good as Dak Prescott. And then now the reason they, they actually could do this is because there's no GM to be fired. Jerry Jones is, is Jerry Jones cannot be fired. Um, but you know, if you were a GM and your job was on the line, you can't, could you imagine the disaster that would come if you got rid of Dak Prescott and then the guy you bring in, you know, goes like eight and nine or something. That's why you can't do that. Yeah. Cause you know, that's probably what would happen. It's not like they're going to bring in, um, you know, somebody who's more capable. Ryan. <laughs> Carson Wentz, uh, his tour of the NFCs continues. No, I- that's why, like, we shouldn't even talk about it that much because they're not—they're not making that kind of move. But yes, it's—it's it's fair to say, like, they're in a little bit of a pickle here. A pickle. They're in a pickle. Yeah, they are, especially when you're paying them forty million a year. I know yeah. that's kind of like the going rate for franchise quarterbacks, but it's still a problem. I love—I love how it's like we're talking about a quarterback that's probably getting paid like the third or fourth most in the NFL right now. And then I'm about to switch gears to a guy that's probably getting paid. I probably get paid more than Brock Purdy does. <laughs> and and he, he, I mean, listen, let's be real. I'm going to cut to the chase right now about Brock Purdy. Is it a great story? Absolutely it is. Is Brock Purdy a good NFL quarterback? No, he's not. He's mid at best, and he's in literally the most quarterback-friendly system in the NFL with some of the most elite weapons at each position that you could have. Brock Purdy is a perfectly good game manager for San Francisco. And and you know what? Kudos to him. He makes good decisions. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's doing his job. And as long as you do your job as a quarterback in the San Francisco offense, you are going to succeed. If you put Brock Purdy on the Jets, Brock Purdy throws for seven interceptions every single game. That's just how it works. I mean, it it is a perfect quarterback system. This is undeniable because this is also a quarterback system that made Jimmy Garoppolo look unbeatable at at some points. And let's face it, Jimmy Garoppolo, devilishly handsome. Slightly over mid-quarterback, if we're being real. Yeah. uh, I I just had to get that off my chest. So so (laughs) I take it that you don't agree with people comparing the Brock Purdy story to the Tom Brady story. <laughs> oh my god. I mean because there are there are some people out there like that. Listen, um, I, I will say that if Brock Purdy goes out there and wins the Super Bowl, is it an ESPN 30 for 30 moment? Absolutely it is. And are we gonna sit here and not just say that the San Francisco 49ers probably have the most talented roster up and down in the NFL? I mean he inherited if, if he inherited the Raiders and took them to the Super Bowl, 
wow, that's a real, that's amazing. I mean, they could have put, Josh Johnson could be taking them to the Super Bowl right now. I don't like to shit on the kid's parade because I do like him and I think he's got poise and he's got moxie and he's got a certain swagger about him that pick number 256 shouldn't have. But would he have that same confidence if he was playing for someone else? I just don't see it. Yeah, well, I think that's where he deserves some credit. I mean, if you look at the all the, the rookie quarterbacks last year, almost every single one of them, except for Mac Jones, who, who was playing in a good system, was a complete disaster. Um, it, it's hard for rookies to come in and, and play with that kind of confidence. And I know having those weapons around him helps, um, but I still think it's hard. You know, Skylar Thompson played okay in that in that divisional round in the wildcard game against the Bills. At the same time, I don't know if Skylar Thompson does what Brock Purdy has done uh, in, in San Francisco. I think there is an element of decision-making that's really impressive. Uh, the confidence level is really impressive. What he hasn't done in the playoffs is go on the road. I'm very interested to see what happens with that. You know, we all know that the Eagles are very talented. They're, that's one thing. Um, but, you know, does his decision-making change when he's in a tough environment? I think we're going to find that out. Um, but, yeah, I, I think at the same time, the 49ers have a good enough system and good enough weapons uh, on the offensive and defensive side of the ball that I think I'd be very confident going into next year with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy competing for a starting job. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. With, 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 um, with Trey Lance as your long-term quarterback in mind, but not necessarily as the day one starter next year if he proves he's not ready. See, this is the difference between Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. Trey Lance, we all know he's got the natural talent advantage, but in this – system even in this great system um from what little we've seen of him he does throw interceptions he does make some bad decisions yeah um he he can be turnover prone you know that's kind of just who he is he's a risk taker and right now the right man for this team is brock purdy um but i do think because of what you're saying because brock purdy who doesn't really have the skills to maybe be a full-time nfl starter is thriving in the system I think that gives Kyle Shanahan even more confidence in making Trey Lance the quarterback of the future because you know Trey Lance can do what Brock Purdy can do. You've just gotta, you've just gotta make sure he doesn't make those ridiculous mistakes. Oh my God! Oh, don't you hate that when you're chewing on ice and, and it goes right into the fillings and it? Oh God, that sucks. Um, I want to give you my convoluted plan. That I thought I told you, but I told someone else because we haven't talked to each other in so long. We're not disgruntled, I promise, listeners. We're not disgruntled. We just have different schedules. <laughs> That's it. Um, so this is what I said. He texted me. He goes, so what do you do with Trey Lance if you're the San Francisco 49ers? And boy, I was so happy to get this text message because I literally laid it out perfectly. This is the way that the San Francisco 49ers – can just pull a fast one on the entire league. You ready for this? So the San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. This is the only way that this works, by the way. And Brock Purdy as the quarterback. Goes out and has a monster game. 300 yards, four touchdowns. He's the future. Trade him to the Jets. No, 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 no. no. For the love of God, no. Colts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No. So. The 49ers trade Trey Lance to the Tennessee Titans. They re-sign Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay? So they go into the season. 
basically knowing that Brock Purdy is going to be the starting quarterback going forward. But they kind of say to Jimmy, hey, look, we're going to keep you here in case this actually falls apart. You become the starter again. If not, we'll trade you to a team that that needs a starter. Okay. So they signed Jimmy G. Now they have Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. They go into the draft. In the seventh round, they draft another quarterback, right? Bear with me. You have anybody in mind for that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, let's, uh, Malik Cunningham. Let's just go with Malik Cunningham. Okay. Or Clayton Toon, someone like that. They go, and, they go and draft someone like that, right? So they go into the season with those three quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is legit. He is the future. Jimmy G gets traded. Not only does the San Francisco 49ers get draft capital from Tennessee for Trey Lance, and it has to be comparable. He was the number three overall pick. You're going to have to get at least two mid-round picks for him, at least. They get another mid-round pick from the Jimmy G trade. They dump all that money and wind up with like a $700,000 quarterback, all this draft capital, and all this money. And San Francisco repeats as champions again. Thank you very much for my TED Talk. I'm out. <laughs> well, I, that's very well thought out. Um, he, had no, he had no response. Yeah, he, well, next to me, he I goes. Do. I have no idea what to say to that. <laughs> well, was this was this in person or over phone or over text? No, I the, the text message. Yeah, was I was like going to say long. like if I saw that level, that kind of text, I don't know if I'd respond either. I'd probably because I'd probably have to set aside like ten minutes just to think about it. Um, but my my only issue with that plan is I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo would sign up for that. Yes, even on the trade the trade thing. I think there are so many quarterback needy teams that somebody's going to throw some kind of amount of money at him, and he's just going to have to take it. But see the beauty of it they they pay Brock Purdy so little that they could pay Jimmy Garoppolo all this money just to stay. It, it's foolproof. I'm and telling what you. What happens if, you know in, in the training camp he like hurts his ankle again or his leg? I mean I don't. He's fine. I don't they, think Jimmy G is no, they that. never put him on the injury report. They never <laughs> tell anyone he's injured. Fraud. Against an NFL front office, I think Jimmy is fraud, and and they just they fleece the entire league the entire <laughs> time, and then we're on the San Francisco 49ers dynasty over here. I think Jimmy has paid his dues, and he can go somewhere else. But I do think they're in great position, no matter what happens the next two games, to say, look, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance. You know, we we could say Trey Lance is the talent. We know that Brock Purdy has won playoff games. We know he's got the confidence. Throw him in preseason, training camp, all that. Let him compete. Let the best man win. And you know, because it's, you're the 49ers, you know somebody's going to get hurt. When, when the starter inevitably gets hurt, you know you got a good backup plan. Um, just you roll with that. I think they'll be fine that way. I do think that Kyle Shanahan still thinks Trey Lance is the long-term starter. And by the way, I saw some video posted again of that um, Bears game played in the monsoon in week one. And people were like, Are, were we really judging Trey Lance off of this game? You know, they showed like Justin Fields diving in the in the puddle, you know, at the end. Like, this is the game that is going to define Trey Lance for us? Yeah. No way. We got to – I don't care what he did in the first half against the Seahawks the next week. Like, we, you got to give him a fair shot. And I think he's still going to get that shot. Um, but yeah. if Brock Purdy wins the Super Bowl, you know, I don't know. I don't know. They, It's hard to go against that. Yeah, it is. But – well, that remains to be seen, but I think we should, I mean, crazy plan aside, I think I, I just, I, we kind of talked 
so much about kind of like the matchups in general. I feel like with KC and Cincinnati, I kind of want to focus a little bit more on San Fran and Philadelphia. And I think that I'm going to go, I'm going to say my AFC prediction is the Bengals. And I think that the reason why I feel like we're going to go through this carousel where we kind of see, oh, it's the AFC quarterback's time. It was Patrick Mahomes' time. Now, I'm not saying that he's never going to have a time again. It's just how it's going to roll, I feel like. I feel like this is Joe Burrow's time. He's gotten there before. You know, we're talking about a guy who, in his first two full seasons as a starter, lost in the Super Bowl and is in the AFC Championship game again the next year. Yeah. I, I feel like it kind it kind of feels like Burrow's year, at least to get back there again. On the NFC side of the ball, it's tough. It really is for me. But I think this is where the buck stops with Brock Purdy. I you know, this is this is the test for Brock Purdy. He didn't look great against a good Dallas Good, but not great, Dallas secondary. This is a great secondary in Philadelphia. A great and secondary. Pre- and they're going to pressure him. And they're going to pressure him. You have four defensive linemen that had 10 or more sacks. Not only that, once you get into the rotation, you have Ndamukong Sue, Linval Joseph. There's no let-up. Jordan Davis, if he's healthy, there's no let-up. You are going to get pressured every single snap and it's going to be a miracle if he doesn't and i I really think that him being a seventh round mr irrelevant is going to come out in this game i really think you know the 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 eagles have the linebackers to match up with george kittle you know kaiser white is a really really good coverage linebacker and if they don't have that they had tj edwards as well I mean, they, they're they're pretty much loaded at every position, and this is the battle of the two best rosters in the NFL, in my opinion. And I think you said that before yeah, as well. Definitely. And I can't help but think that, you know, for the longest time we were looking into Philadelphia this season. All right, when is the fluke going to show? It still hasn't shown. And I don't think it's going to show against Brock Purdy. So I think my Super Bowl prediction is the Bengals and the Eagles. Yeah, so I I am not committing to anything yet. But after those after this weekend, my my picks were Bengals and Eagles. Um, I think I'm I'm pretty solid on the Bengals right now. I was starting to to wonder, and then we as we talked about it a little more, I started to get more confident in the Bengals. A little worried about this Eli Apple stuff. I feel like bad karma is coming his way with, uh, you know, calling out the entire Bills roster. Um, like, he's got to stop and just play football. Like, somebody needs to get in a room with him and tell him, we, we still have two games to go. <laughs> um, but, yes, I think, I'm, I think I'm on the Bengals. The Eagles, I was, I was pretty confidently with the Eagles, and then I kind of was talking myself into the 49ers today. Um, you know, it's just, a, it's a very, very interesting matchup. And, and part of it for me is the inexperience of, of Jalen Hurts, uh, and, and Nick Sirianni who hasn't, you know, we, okay, bear with me. You know, Jalen Hurts gets hurt. Um, he doesn't play those two games and then they, he, he plays against the Giants, uh, in week 18, you know, the Giants who didn't, weren't playing starters. 
he still wasn't 100%. Reportedly wasn't 100% this past week. They still blew out the Giants. Um, this is a whole new challenge, though. The 49ers from top to bottom are in a complete different tier than the Giants. Um, now, what helps is that they're playing in Philadelphia. It's a very tough environment. But part of me wonders, is like, you know, is it Jalen Hurts who maybe isn't 85 or 90% healthy? You know, is it going to be an issue against a 49ers defense that, you know, let's face it, aside from the talent, is extremely well coached? I mean, D'Amico Ryans is an excellent defensive coordinator. He may not even still be um, their defensive coordinator. Well, he will be, but he may have another job by the time this yeah. game comes around if the Texans hire him. Um, <laughs> I really hope not. That would be just such a letdown for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, listen, D'Amico Ryans, you draft Bryce Young or something, you get some, you get some, uh, Talent in there on both sides of the ball. I know they have cap space. You never know. He's yeah. a hometown guy too. He played for them for a while. I yes. wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it for him. But um, you know, really well coached defense, great scheme, ton of talent, good defensive front that can give uh, the Eagles' great offensive line a lot more difficulty than the Giants did. Um, part of me wonders is like you know if an inexperienced her on this stage against such a, a talented team with a coaching staff that's been here before. Um, if it's going to be a little bit of a culture shock for him, considering he's only played the Giants for the last five weeks. Um, but of course, of course, you can go in and say, hey, Brock Purdy is a seventh round rookie who just played the Seahawks and Cowboys at home. And now he's going on the road to Philadelphia against a really good defense. Uh, the link so that, is you know, a tough place to play. That kind of balances it out, I think, a little bit. You know, if you, um, if you were facing, I'd have more concern if like a Jalen Hurts type was going up against Burrow or Mahomes this week. Mm. Um, but you know, at home, so I'm leaning Eagles for the same reason I just said that, you know, you could kind of go with the same argument for the 49ers. Um, but, but part of me is kind of, is kind of wondering if, if we haven't seen enough from the Eagles yet to definitively say like, they're going to go in and, and, you know, and route them at home. But, uh, so I'll probably go with the Eagles. I'm undecided though. We'll, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I may flip. I may flip. I'm not sure, but the Bengals I'm pretty confident on. All right, so, so just to just to recap that little den Tracy uh, tidbit of information. So I'm gonna say as a tentative prediction, we're going 90% on the on the Bengals for Dan. Yeah. And we're going 55-45 on I'll say 60, 60-40 on the, oh. on the I gotta I gotta feel it out more. Okay, so that will be it for now. I, I have con- I have solidified my predictions because I do the same thing that you do. I try and talk myself into the other team, and then it winds up never working for me. So I've been good the last like month just sticking to my prediction. So I'm going to say that Super Bowl 57 will be the Cincinnati Bengals and the Philadelphia Eagles. It remains to be seen. It's going to be a very interesting week. I hope we get some better games this weekend that we've seen. I think we will. I, think I, we I will. definitely think we if will. If not the first one, listen, like you can see a scenario where like Brock Purdy's completely shell-shocked and the Eagles just like are way too talented for him. And that, that kind of ruins the 49ers day and they get blown out. Wouldn't rule it out. Uh, but Bengals and Chiefs, I'm sorry, even with an injured Mahomes, I just can't see that game not being competitive. I can't see the Chiefs just rolling over. They're, they're not yeah. the type of team. Unless like Mahomes genuinely – like got knocked out again, you know, unless they really get to that ankle or something and, and they aggravate it. 
Uh, I think we're guaranteed a competitive game there. Yeah. Um, Bengals defense is too good to let the Chiefs blow them out. I think even with a healthy Mahomes. Uh, but with the with an injured Mahomes, I just can't see anybody getting blown out. So, yeah, should be a good one. It's going to be interesting to see. Dan Tracy. Well, I, I, I got a question for you, though, because this came up in my mind when you mentioned Burrow and, and Mahomes and all that. There have been some comparisons made on the Twitter. Um, and I don't know if I really – I don't think I really agree with them. In fact, I don't think you can agree with them yet. I think we got to let the career play out. There have been a lot of Josh Allen and Philip Rivers comparisons. You know, Philip Rivers being – and we're talking about career arc, not players. Um, you know, Philip Rivers being a really good quarterback. In fact, Hall of Fame type of quarterback who was one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC. But because he was not Mahomes – I'm sorry, because he was not uh, Brady or Manning, or maybe even Ben Roethlisberger. Um, he never had playoff. He never he never went to a Super Bowl. He went to one conference title game, which is what and there were there was really early in his career too, which is what Allen has right now. Do you that, think Allen is? Do you think the next you know five ten years is Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow, or is it Mahomes and Burrow, and then Allen is playing the Philip Rivers role? What do you think about that? I don't think people are going to like my answer. But I think it's Mahomes, Burrow, and Herbert from here on out. Yeah, you have a good point there. And the reason, you know, the reason I say that is because the Bills are trending downward right now. And also because, not to mention, they have a lot of money tied in very few players. And there's one team, and I'm not saying to this extent, there's one team that we very recently saw that has a lot of money tied into very few players collapse. And that was the LA Rams. So I'm not saying that the Bills are on that trajectory, but uh, they're trending towards it if they don't do something fast. I think that their their window's not closed. I still think they have one more. Like, if, they, if we're talking about this next year and the same thing happened, they lose in the divisional, I think the window has closed for now until they do something major. For now, I still think it's open, and I still think it's the four horsemen at quarterback with – Depending on where Lamar Jackson goes and how healthy he is, he could be in that consideration. Same thing with T-Law. But I think right now, if we're looking at the top three, I think it's going to have to be Mahomes, Burrow, and Herbert. That's just me. Well, that's the thing about the AFC. You've got no room for error going yeah. forward. I mean, you know, the, the Bills, Chiefs, and Bengals, yes, even after what we just saw from the Bills, I think they had a Super Bowl-caliber roster. Yeah, and yet one of them was guaranteed to be eliminated in the divisional round. And this, this year it was the Bills, and they deserved it because they didn't play well at all uh, on Sunday. But, you know, now you're going to add to that mix Herbert, which um, unfortunately for, for the Chargers, they're keeping Brandon Staley, which I, that just seems like you're throwing away another year of Herbert by keeping Brandon Staley, unless the offensive coordinator they bring in really changes things. Um, but Herbert, as long as you have him, you can win any game. Lamar Jackson's coming up, coming back. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is on the rise. Um, and then who knows, you know, who else is going to be in that mix? We, we may see Aaron Rodgers somewhere in the AFC, Jesus. in Vegas or in uh, MetLife Stadium. Who knows? So I think, I think, yeah, there, there's no room for error with the Bills. And, you know, the window with the, with the window only open for one more year, and I, I, I agree with you on that fully, by the way. I think I think they were going to come up on some really difficult decisions after yep. that. Um, it's going to be a, a very high-pressure year. You know, the Bills have been like, oh, this feel-good team. They're really building something special. Great coach. 
it's built. You got to perform now. Lovable, you know, lovable winners who are trying to win their first Super Bowl. Ha ha. Uh, that that pressure is on. Like that. That's yeah. all gone next year. You got to win now. I, I think that's going to be a, one of the big storylines of next year. Is like I agree. It's no more like oh, we love the Bills, and you know they're such a, a fun team. They, they play in the snow, and their fans love them. And let's all shovel their driveways so they can go fly to Detroit to play a game. <laughs> There's going to be some pressure on them, like yeah. real pressure on them next year, and that's just the product of playing in the AFC. I think you nailed it on the head. I think that this is a. I think pending the result of the Super Bowl, this is a. Uh, something that we could really have a deep dive on mm-hmm. and really go further into, but it, it's definitely an interesting discussion and I'm very excited for these games and I'm very excited to come back here again and talk about the eventual disappointing games that we're going to watch this weekend. So Dan Tracy, 25 episodes down, 2,500 more to go. So that's right. <laughs> good one here, right? I, I mean, I, I enjoyed this. I love, I, 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 of course, everybody loves like when you have these weekend with weekends with all the playoff games. But when you get to the point that you're down to a few and you can really break them down, yeah, like we kind of did, it's a lot of fun. So looking yeah. forward to doing it again for uh, the Super Bowl, the big one. Whatever, whatever matchup we get, I think yeah. it's going to be a good one. I couldn't agree with you more, Dan Tracy. Twenty five episodes, excellent. Thank you for having me on. I uh, hope you have me on again next week. We'll bring you back for number 26. All right. I, I, I signed. I, I feel like, uh, God, who's, I feel like Brett Gardner. I'm just signing one year extensions until my run eventually just, just fizzles out. <laughs> hey, at this rate, maybe he'll be a Hall of Famer. Maybe they'll put him in. All right. Yeah, that's it. It's over. I can't, wait. I can't wait. One year he's going to appear on the Hall of Fame ballot just because he played for like 15 years. The episode's over. <laughs>